Uh, hello, relatives. I'm your host, Kyra Antone, and this is the Center for Native American Youth podcast. I apologize for the delay in posting. It has been a bumpy couple of weeks, but nonetheless, we are back with another amazing episode. And today, we are going to be talking about mental health. We understand that conversations surrounding mental health can be hard to hold, but we believe that there are important conversations to have within our communities. Mental health is something that affects many people, and our guest today will be Dr. Billy Joe Kipp, who will help us dive into what mental health is, how different generations see mental health, as well as go over some of the fears we have when seeking assistance through our mental health journeys. We want to ensure that we are creating a safe and healthy place to ask questions, so this conversation will be set up as if I were asking my auntie questions surrounding mental health. Should you need information or advice, please seek professional guidance. We are happy you are here, and we will get started with the podcast now. Auntie Kip, thank you for being here. I want to start off with asking you to please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do. Well, thank you, Kyra, and thank you for taking time to really talk about this mystified mental health thing that we embark on. And, and um, just a quick introduction, I'm the Associate Director for Research and Evaluation at the Center for Native American Youth, but my history and my work has been trained as a child psychologist and uh, overall psychologist. I have a PhD in clinical psychology. So I've been very fortunate to gain a lot of knowledge and skills and abilities to address issues that our Native folks struggle with along the lines of mental health. So that's who I am. Auntie, I've noticed that conversations surrounding mental health can be hard to discuss, let alone acknowledge in a lot of Indigenous households. Can we start off with maybe asking you to help me understand the basics of what mental health is? Oh, I think that's really a good question. You know, the thing about mental health, it's so internal and it's such a mind um, kind of experience. So you don't know what's happening and you don't know what to call it. And when we look at mental health, mental health is like uh, mental health wellness. If you go into the doctor and you have a hurt leg or a, or a, a illness, you, you're readily able to see a doctor. What we don't understand is that when you have meta, mental difficulties, such as like thinking and feeling and anxiety and depression, you really don't know if that's something that's treatable. And it is, it's very treatable. And so our access for our Indian people is really essential because they struggle at times in communities where mental health is prevalent. And so a lot of times I was told by my mom, oh, you shouldn't feel that way, right? And many of our youth are told, oh, go do something, or oh, you shouldn't feel that way without really an understanding of people need somebody to talk to, they may need medication, they may need a number of interventions that will really help them. So as a clinical psychologist and in particularly working with children, I never tell them, you know, oh, you shouldn't be here, I ask them, what would make it better? And so when we have active participation of our youth in their own mental wellness, they take on making changes and, and, and they recognize that this isn't that, I'm not going crazy, huh? I'm not gonna be locked away because that's what we think, oh, I'm going crazy. Um, but what it does, it really empowers us to, to reach out to somebody like myself, a skilled person, or even, if you want to reach out to your medicine person, they, they know too. And so I think it's really critical that we use all those gifts that have been given to us 
And we use the gifts that of people who know how to provide support and how to help move you in the direction you want to go. I wanted to touch on something you just said about your parents reacting to you and telling you that you shouldn't feel a certain type of way. And I feel like that type of narration is often reiterated a lot in family households. Um, the, the story of if you have a roof over your head and food on the table that you should be happy. And something that I've learned on my mental health journey is that sometimes you just don't feel good and that's okay. That doesn't mean that you're ungrateful, your feelings are valid and what you are feeling is normal. Can we talk about awareness? I, I think that's critical, especially in Indian country, because I think our older folks see our mental health needs as weaknesses. And they're not because that's what they were taught. Because remember, the involvement of access to, to good mental wellness and mental care, care has just recently evolved in maybe the last 10 to 20 years, if that. And so it's very stigmatized in, in our culture. It's very stigmatized in the, the greater world, in the, in the greater world. And, and so we're not at ease discussing it. I'm not at ease telling you, well, you know what? I have this anxiety and sometimes I don't sleep at night because I'm worried about things all the time and not recognizing that that's uh, uh, anxiety disorder. And what happens is we go to our elders and our moms and our aunties, and oftentimes they discount it like, well, you just need to focus on this, or they, they get right into the problem solving. And when we look at mental health, people don't want to problem solve. They want to make changes to address things. They want to change and see things in a different ways. So as a clinician, I help children and other folks just look at what is going on and provide new ways to see it. When we reframe that for our youth and for our people who struggle with mental health, like it's just like going to the doctor for diabetes. We're, you know, we accept that readily. But when we look at that in those realms, I think that the, the, the intergenerational stuff is starting to be understood that this is really who we are. And so we've got to change our language around uh, mental health. We've got to be more accepting of it. And we've got to see it as a way to improve who we are by treating mental health conditions. In my personal experience, taking walks have helped when I've had moments of anxiety. But I think that it's also important to realize that my experience is not everyone's experience and that these walks were also only a temporary fix for that single moment. Um, you shared some great advice. One of the things that you said that caught my attention was when you mentioned people trying to problem solve when we're feeling down. And I feel like it's important to recognize that each person is different. Um, can we talk a little bit about your experience in that area? So for our youth, I think, you know, they're very active people, but then there are youth who are very isolated and aren't that active. And so we've got to understand there's a whole gamut that the answer isn't to just get outside and do something. And so I think we got to understand in the gamut that many of our youth have social anxiety and they won't get out and then they get further withdrawn and further isolated. And so I think we really need to meet youth where they're at and to help them understand that if this is occurring longer than three months, our, our kind of gold standard as a clinical work is if this has gone on for three months, you need to kind of look at some other help or other support. And so, you know, all those things for situational depression or situational anxiety, like if you're worried about passing a test or something and you have a lot of anxiety, 
well, we can teach, you know, teach you mindfulness or breathing that will help with that. But if you're anxious about everything and you don't know why, well, then that's going to take a little bit longer. So I think at, at, at always you find your cultural interventions, praying, singing, lighting sweet grass, concentrating on being in the moment, going to the sweat lodge. If you don't understand the, the value of the sweat lodge, it makes you focus on your breathing. That's all that's in there, you and creator. And that focus is mindfulness because you've got to focus to stay alive in the sweat lodge. huh? Otherwise you feel like you're going to die, right? And so if you don't focus in your prayer, that's very helpful. That's very um, releasing of trauma and anxiety, but it may not be enough. So providing more support around that area would be very helpful. Riding horses, all those things. For our urban youth, you know, getting in contact with other urban youth who may be struggling with this or just online you know you can do all things online now there's all kinds of groups online there's even mindfulness groups that are free that will teach you how to stay in the moment and how to concentrate so all these are free interventions for our folks and just to utilize them because we're in front of the screen you know sometimes 24 7 mm-hmm. and our youth are too Absolutely. Uh, I know for myself, I struggled with wanting to seek help or guidance when it came to my mental health. What are some words you may have shared with me to make it a less of a scary process? I think it's really critically important that we understand that when we go into therapy, it's about removing that distress that we live with every day of our life removing those sleepless nights or removing those feelings of worthlessness or helplessness. And, and those, those things are critical items. And so for you to understand, this ain't about diagnosing you. It's not about removing you. It's about accepting who you are and then helping you design a strength-based plan for moving forward to help you change thoughts and feelings and behaviors. Yeah, I, you know, I think the normalization of mental health needs through, you know, if you had diabetes, you'd go to the doctor. If you had a broken leg, you'd go to the doctor. Well, there's, this isn't any different than that. We have skills, knowledge, and abilities to help you see your world, to help you reframe those internal thoughts. Cause it's oftentimes it's our thoughts that control our behaviors to change behaviors and to change um, um, feelings of internal depression and anxiety <clears throat> and trauma. And so a lot of it is they've talked about things. You know, you may come in and see me and we'll we'll talk about whatever you want. But, you know, we are going to talk about those things that can be healed. And if we see it in that perspective as this isn't me coming in to judge you and get my book out and say, oh, you're this. It's me to help you heal from whatever it is that heals. So depression and anxiety and fearfulness, those are residual effects of trauma oftentimes, and oftentimes in our families. And I know this from my own, our families of origin, trauma is a common day place on different levels. And we don't understand that we're looking at this world and we're saying, boy, it's making me feel anxiety. And then even when the event is gone, we still feel overwhelmed with fretfulness and anxiety and worry and and sadness. And so for youth, it's really just, helping them to be in a safe place, a place that is um, understood for them and you create it for them and we create it together. 
And it's that whole community indigenous framework that indigenous thought that together we can do this collectively. Let's do this. I know this podcast is coming to an end here shortly, and I just want to touch on historical trauma and recognizing the impact that it has on us today. Well, I think, you know, as we look today, Kyra, with the unveiling of the loss of our children in boarding school and the trauma that is inflicting on communities, it's very traumatizing. I was watching a, a reel the other day, and it was up in First Nations, and the woman said, when they came and took our children, it was like our community was frozen in time, that we never talked about it. And that's PTSD. That's historical trauma that they took our children away. We didn't know why they were taking them. And our community was stuck in a state of trauma response. And so when we look at historical trauma and it feeding into our current youth um, mental health struggles is it's a huge piece. And we, we have to understand the contributing factors of it, that when our ancestors went through annihilation and genocide, they, weren't, they didn't resolve that in their generation. And we talked about intergenerational stuff. And so all that spills on into the next generation because our mothers and fathers probably never talked about it either. And when you mention it to them, they'll go, oh, yeah, is that what that is? And so historical trauma is really contributes to a lot of, of uh, psychological distress. However, what I do as a therapist, as a clinical psychologist, is I remind them, not only did our ancestors have this trauma, but our ancestors had this way of moving past it. They had this resilience that they survived the most insurmountable abuse and neglect and, and, and dehumanization. And they left that for us. So if we can tap into their legacy of resilience and, and survival and, and movement and being well, they left that for us. So the blueprint is there. The plan is there. We just got to go back and, and get it because oftentimes they weren't allowed their plan. So we know that ceremony and when we have a loss in our family, four days mourning and ceremony, which they were denied when they lost hundreds of people at times. They were denied the right to bury their own people. So we can do that for them. We can do that in some way for them and not carry that trauma with us, but carry the resilience and the um, survival and the cultural mechanisms that they have gifted us. I think for all our people, whether they be youth or adults or even young children, I work with very young children as well, is that we have the capacity to heal through the things our ancestors gave us. We know that. But there are times when we're so enmeshed and engaged in the pain and the distress of psychological trauma, psychological depression, all those things that we can't see it. And when we reach outside of ourselves, and I always do that, and have a, a person that can say, well, does this really mean this or does this mean this? And how can you end that story? Because a lot of it is we want to end this story. We want to end this trauma. And so let's re-end your, your story the way you want it to be. And let's believe that it ends there. 
Wow, that that was beautiful. Uh, I find comfort in being reminded that we are our own authors and each chapter can be a new beginning. Uh, Thank you, Auntie, so much for sitting down and having this conversation with me. And thank you to all of you out there listening. We truly are grateful that you are here with us and hope that our personal experiences can help you be less afraid to ask questions and reach out to professionals in your area and start normalizing uh, talking more and learning more about mental health. Lee Lemch. Hey.